connection between sin and the Christian. So we once were connected to Adam and now we're connected to Jesus, not Adam anymore. That's chapter 5. We were connected to sin through our mortal life, but now through baptism, we're connected to Jesus. That's chapter 6. We were connected to sin through being enslaved to it, but now we belong to a new, in a new marriage relationship to Jesus and are owned by a new master. And yet we still struggle with sin, and that was last week, and that's chapter 7. Now, in chapter 8, Paul tells us what God has done to enable us to live above sin, to help us not to be conquered by it anymore, even though we might struggle with it. And so he introduces the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the first time Paul explains what the job of the Holy Spirit is. In fact, it's, you could look at this as his job description. There we go. He, he gives us three big general ways in which the Spirit has come to help us. There are many other aspects to the Holy Spirit's ministry and what he does to help us, but this is, I guess, his general job description. So let's look at the uh, overview. Next slide. <laughs> My clicker is not working. Anyway, the outline is, is fairly simple. He begins by describing, first of all, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's great news for all of us. Here we go. There's no condemnation for us because righteousness has been fulfilled. And then comes the Holy Spirit's job description. How does he enable us to live for God? And there's three aspects to that. Our minds the control of our nature, and he testifies to our adoption. There we go. So there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God won't condemn us. He doesn't condemn us because righteousness has been fulfilled. If righteousness hadn't been fulfilled, then we certainly would still be under condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I think of these powerful word of, or words of no condemnation, I think of that man who was brought by his friends to Jesus, who was teaching in a house and it was filled with people. They couldn't get him in there. He was paralysed, being carried on a mat. So they went up on the roof, removed the tiles and dropped him through the roof in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their response of faith, he told them that his sins were forgiven. In Jesus' day, the religious elite judged people's blessings from God based on their outward appearance. So this paralysed man was certainly, in their view, condemned by God. He must have done something wrong and was living under God's judgment because he was paralysed. That's the way they viewed him. But no more. Since Jesus forgave his sins and healed him, he could get up and walk and walk away from that building praising God. This is a, a picture of the believer 
the man walking and rejoicing is proof there's no, no condemnation for him anymore. His legs have been made well, but even bigger, his sins have been forgiven and God doesn't condemn him anymore. He can now walk and follow God the way he's meant to. And we are that man. No condemnation. Able to walk Jesus' way. How does that all take place? Where Paul describes it here, he describes two laws have been, one's been superseded by the other. In verse 2. One law that made us guilty and one law that sets us free. The law of the spirit and the law of sin and death. Two different laws. He uses law in the sense of principle or a divine way of ruling and ordering life, a law. Just as gravity condemns everything to fall to the ground, so the law of sin and death condemns all living creatures to die and return to the ground. That law is still in place. But a new divine law has come that has superseded the law of sin and death. And it's called the law of the spirit of life. It's the one the Holy Spirit has brought through Jesus to us. In fact, Jesus promised to send the spirit to us after he returned to heaven to continue God's work. So a quick summary of what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit was promised by Jesus and he called him another counsellor, the paraclete. That means the one who gives support. He is the helper, advisor, strengthener, encourager, ally and advocate of God's people. And he's called another helper, indicating that Jesus was the first counsellor. And I'm going to now send another one to you. The paraclete. He is promised a replacement of himself, Jesus, to carry on the work of God when Jesus ascended to heaven. In the Old Testament, the Spirit is known as basically God's power. We don't see much of a description of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. However, in the New Testament, a fuller picture emerges of the Spirit that is actually a person, equal in divine glory and essence with the Father and the Son. We see this fuller picture of who the Holy Spirit is, as Jesus described him. The Spirit is divine just as the Father and Son. The Spirit does all the work of the Father and the Son here on earth. The Spirit glorifies Jesus, gives us assurance, regenerates our heart, enables us to understand God's word, provides ministry gifts to the church, and empowers holiness through the fruit of the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came to give power to the church and fill all believers. So, back to Romans. The Holy Spirit has brought a second law. And this law has overpowered and is more powerful than the law of sin and death. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power lives in us. And it's more powerful than the power of sin and death. And we can prove that through the resurrection. The law of sin and death took Jesus 
to the grave. But the law of the power of the law of the power of the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and that same Spirit lives in us. One is more powerful than the other. It's the same thing as we see that we're facing today in Australia. In you know, six days' time, we will be voting on a referendum question, and I'm not getting into the you know yes and no arguments, but I'm simply saying that The question is, will we put in place in our constitution some new things? And that constitutional law is more powerful than the state laws, isn't it? State laws cannot contradict constitutional law. One law is more powerful than the other law. And that is what Paul is saying here. That the the new law of the life in the spirit is more powerful than the law of sin and death. And that law lives in us. There are some unusual laws in Australia. I don't know if you know this. Have you ever heard of this? In Western Australia, it is an offence to possess 50 kilograms of potatoes. The 1996 Summary Offences Act makes it illegal, illegal to be heard singing an offensive song. It's illegal to dress up as Batman and Robin because you cannot wear a disguise without a relevant cause because you could be a bank robber. So you can't dress up as Batman and Robin unless you go into a fancy dress party. It's illegal to disrupt a wedding or funeral. It's illegal to to hurt a homing pigeon. It's illegal to fly a kite to the annoyance of other people. It's illegal to walk on the left-hand side of the road. If there's no footpath and you have to walk on the road, you have to walk facing the oncoming traffic. It's illegal to take part in rain-making activity unless you're authorised to do so. So be careful when we pray for rain. (laughs) What they're talking about here is cloud seeding activity, when you fly around in a plane and you seed clouds. And one more, it's illegal to make unreasonable noise with a vacuum cleaner after 10pm in Victoria. (laughs) So some laws are outdated. And the law of sin and death has become outdated because the law of the Spirit has set us free. How can we live God's way? Romans 7 has been telling us it's really hard. Last week, it's a struggle with sin. We want to do the right thing and sin's in us, you know, leading us and pulling us in different directions. So how can we live above sin? Well, the new law of the spirit achieves what the old law could not do. The law was powerless to enable us to live righteous lives because of our weakened condition. The law said do this, but didn't give us any power to do it. But the new law does give us power. It says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law, in verse 3, might be fully met in us. Did you hear that? 
in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. The righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled in two ways. One, through Jesus, as it says, he became a sin offering. So therefore, fulfilled the law's requirements, but also the Spirit has come to enable us to fulfill the law's requirements by living according to God's way. And although we're not perfect, very helpfully, the whole law Jesus summed up in love God and love others. We don't have to battle with a whole lot of rules and regulations. We live a life of love. That doesn't make it always easy either, but it makes it simple. And when God looks at us, the Spirit's controlling us, and he's happy that we are living the type of life that the Old Testament people couldn't do. So, these three things the Holy Spirit does. First of all, he enables our minds to think God's way. You see that in verses 5 to 8. He sets our minds. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires in verse 5. So, in other words, we think about God's kingdom. We think about what God wants. We do things and we think about those things according to the way God sees them or what Jesus wants us to do. Before we were Christians, we just went on our merry way and our mind didn't think much about God at all. Sometimes not at all. But now you're a Christian, you start to think about God, don't you? New thoughts start coming to your mind. That's the Holy Spirit setting your mind to think what God wants. I still think about, you know, Penrith beating the Broncos. You know, sometimes, and I watched that last 20 minutes a couple of times on YouTube this week, but I think about other things, yes, just like you do. But I can't stop my mind coming back and thinking about the things that God wants. Because it's the Spirit living in us, setting our mind on the things God wants. We are like a man with a short leg. He just keeps turning around in one direction all the time. I find there's this compass in me that keeps wanting to point back to what God wants. That's the spirit in us. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the power of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, Paul can state that, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as an imperative, as a command to do something, you know, Because he's already explained in Romans, the Holy Spirit's with you to help you do that. He's not just loading another burden on us. He's already told us the Spirit is setting our mind. Therefore, cooperate with that Spirit and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
The Spirit turns our minds to the things of God and will then, we will then follow our new leader. He says the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace in verse 6. It is a fruitful life and a calm, assured and contented life. But the mind filled with death is not at peace. It is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. That's not us now. Friends, let us give control of our thoughts to God. Let us submit ourselves to what the Spirit is doing in us, wanting us to think godly thoughts. Challenge those thoughts that come that you know aren't godly, that don't belong anymore, and replace them with God's thoughts. As Luther said, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Take control of those thoughts because the Spirit's prompting you to do that. So secondly, the Holy Spirit, in the second part of his job description, his general description of the work he does, is that he is in control and it's not our sinful nature in control anymore. Verses 9 to 11 tells us that. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. This has control has happened since our bodies died with Christ and through Jesus' resurrection, the Spirit now lives in us. The body has died, but the Spirit lives. In our one of our places we, we used to live in, there was a... Uh, the backyard wasn't very big, but it, it was a long sort of strip and it was just filled with weeds, like weeds everywhere. There a bit of kaikuyu um, grass, but not much, and lots of paspilum. And if you, if you ever tried to kill weeds, you know, weed and feed, stuff you spray on just doesn't kill paspilum. And so I had this thought, I always like nice lawn because I'm a golfer and I like, you know, you walk on nice grass when you play golf and you sort of, you want that at home. So I thought, what am I going to do with all these weeds? I knew that if I just sprayed weed and feed, it wouldn't kill the paspalum, and I'd have this constant battle. Could I pluck them out one at a time and go around and take months plucking them out? Weed and feed's not going to do it. Plucking's going to be so laborious. By the time I get to one end, they'll start be, they would have restarted at the other end. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'm going to get my shovel out and my pick. I'm going to divide that yard up into small bits and I'm going to chop and dig under all of those, all of that grass in sections and roll it up and completely remove all of that grass. It's going to take me a while and it took me about a month during summer, but I did it. I cut down under the roots, cut all that weedy grass out and the soil that, where the seeds were and removed it all. And then I brought in new soil and spread new seed and watered it. And now it's a beautiful, lush, beautiful grass backyard. Now, why am I telling you all that? Now, the thing is, I still get the occasional weed coming up. But there's so much beautiful grass, I can see those you know, bits of clover or whatever coming up. 
and I can just easily go over there and dig it out. Bang. It doesn't take long at all. But before, the whole thing was weeds. But now it's filled with good grass and the occasional weed. You know why? Because someone is new has taken control of that backyard. Just like someone new has taken control of us, the Holy Spirit. And he just doesn't say, okay, let's just pull out once in here, once in there, because they just keep popping back up again. What he's done, he's come and removed the deep roots of sin that loved to sin and disobey God. He's taken that love of disobedience to God out of our hearts and replaced it with a new love to please God. That's the work of the Spirit controlling the believer. Completely new. New creation with the occasional weed coming up. It's a completely different story. And God looks at us and he's pleased. And finally, the Holy Spirit motivates us to live for our new father in verses 12 to 17. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So this is the third job description of the Holy Spirit. He motivates us to live above sin by wanting to please our new father. He's in there. He contrasts slavery to fear with sonship, indicating that when we are children of God, sons and daughters of God, it's the opposite of fear. We now have peace, love, support, encouragement from our heavenly father. By the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. So the spirit is in us yearning, causing us to yearn for our father in heaven. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because the Holy Spirit is equal to the father and the son, has always been with the father and the son in heaven for all eternity. So the spirit now lives in us and he just looks up there at the father in heaven and goes, he's drawn up there. If you can think of up in a spiritual term. So that spirit lives in us wanting to communicate with the Father. Both Abba and Father mean Father, but Abba is the Aramaic word Jesus used in prayer to God. He used it in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. So it comes from the babbling of a little child as he interacts with her dad in the home. Jesus authorised his disciples to use the same word that Jesus used to talk to his father, to say, you can use that same word. And the spirit in us wants us to talk to God like that. It's the personal term to address father as father. The Jews of Jesus' day would not address God like that. The Jews of Jesus' day, when they talked to Father, would, God would always say, Father in heaven. Almighty Father. They wouldn't just say, Dad. They would always, you know, because they didn't want to be guilty of over-familiarisation. 
and assuming something that they felt they had no claim to. Whereas Jesus comes along and calls him dead. And he says, the spirit in us enables us to call Father, God, Dad as well. A close family word that you use to address your father. You are my special children. You can call me dad. It would be like if one of my kids, when they were, you know, 10 or 11, and sometimes they did do this in our street, you know, they'd bring home their mate from up the road, or remember this young fella, come and play at our house, right? So Ben, let's say Ben comes and plays with Ryan, my son, in our house, and Ben says to me, hey, Dad, can I have a drink? And Ryan, my son, looks at him and goes, what are you doing? He's not your dad, he's my dad. You can't call him dad. And me goes, no, no, I'm going to call him dad. No, you can't. You've got no right to call my dad your dad. You can say, if you like, uh, Ben, you can say, hey, father of this house, can I have a drink? But, you know, you're a visitor and he's my dad. Only I can do that. And that's the point of what Paul's saying here, that the Holy Spirit in us is giving us the right and the yearning to actually call Father, God, a close personal dad. Isn't that powerful? That's the work of the Spirit in us. And when we have that connection and we see how wonderful and awesome and how gracious and loving and kind our Father in Heaven has been to us, it motivates us to please Him. Therefore, motivates us to want to live above sin because those things displease our Father. In Paul's world, adoption was ordinarily of a young adult male of good character and they became heirs and to maintain the family name of a childless rich person. But Paul is saying our adoption by God of us is of people of bad character. <laughs> Sinners. But we also become heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. The adopted status of believers means that in and through Jesus, God loves them, us, just as he loves his beloved son, Jesus. And that we will also share all the glory that Christ has now. So this is the third job description of the Spirit. He testifies in us to our sonship. And this gives us motivation and desire to please our Father, to please him. Therefore, it says, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature. It's to our new Father. So let's just look at that conclusion slide. The final summary. Oh, can I do that? There we go. This is what we've learned. The Holy Spirit makes all the difference to a Christian. And all true Christians have the Spirit. 
He gives power to our minds to think about God's ways. We find ourselves thinking about Jesus and how to live for him. He controls our lives and puts the sinful nature in the passenger seat. The spirit puts the sinful nature, which we still have, not in control anymore. He puts the sinful nature in the passenger seat. And the spirit controls us. He motivates us to be close to our father and live as children through his son Jesus. All this is the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. We don't always know he's there. We don't always feel his work. We don't have to feel it because the word of God's telling us he's in there doing it. He's making a difference. And that difference enables us to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Christ has perfectly lived that righteous life. He stands in our place and the spirit empowers us. It is a team effort now. Christ's work and the spirit's work in the believer. This is a marvellous truth and one that sets us free from condemnation and guilt. God has not left us alone but has sent the spirit into our hearts to give us victory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you didn't leave us alone, that you, you, spent, you sent the Spirit to continue your work in us. And without the Spirit, we would be helpless to live a life that pleases you. We ask that you enable us to submit to the Spirit's yearnings and leadings that are in there. Help us to be sensitive to what the Spirit wants, that we can continue to live this righteous life that God desires. Amen.